the last Sunday of the year, I have uh, prayed earnestly about what it is that God would want us to hear and what I could share with you, and I've longed to share this with you all week, and I hope that the Spirit will be with us. I've prayed this morning that you would be sensitive to the Spirit, that I would be as I bring the Word to us today. Next week, we gather together to celebrate the gospel together, and one of the most visible ways that we get to as a church, and that is the Lord's Supper. So we'll talk next week about new beginnings, and even as we begin a new year this week, and we begin our church year uh, of 2015 next week together, we'll talk about new beginnings then. But I wanted to come to us today and, and bring a message that I would simply entitle An Eternal Perspective on Your Coming Year, on Your New Year. An Eternal Perspective on Your New Year. As Steve was praying and thanking God for what he's allowed us to be a part of this year, as we spent Wednesday night together remembering and lighting candles for what God has allowed us to be a part of this year, I started thinking about our new year and how you and I could prepare our hearts for entering into a new year as a church, as families, as individuals, as, as co-workers with others, as uh, members of a community, maybe a subdivision for you, maybe just the community of Bunn or some other community wherever you live, that God would use us for his glory, that he would give us a perspective that he would have us to have on our new year, that we would not, if I could say it this way, that we would not waste 2015. Pray that as you look back on your 2014, you will see what God has done that would have eternal value. I think that we could all say there have been things in this year that we've done that won't matter today, maybe not next week or certainly not into eternity. I hope that as you reflect on the year that you could say there have been things that God has allowed me to do or things that I have been a part of that will mean something, that's made a difference in this world, that will have eternal value. And so I want to call us to have an eternal perspective in the coming year. Matthew chapter 24. If you have your Bible, please turn there. If not, there's a Bible in the back of the pew in front of you and invite you to turn there to the Gospel of Matthew. As I call us to have an eternal perspective, I'm reminded that the world is not going to last forever. I hope that you're not in a place where you just think, well, things have always been this way and things will always be this way because that's not the case. And so I want to remind us that our Savior, whose birth we have celebrated this week, told us that he would come one time to make a way for salvation for us, but he would come again. As a matter of fact, he spent most of his earthly ministry, those final three years of his time on this earth, teaching us about preparation for his return and what the kingdom that he was proclaiming would be like. As Jesus was teaching there in Jerusalem, his disciples were sitting in view of the temple Jesus told them about the temple and the judgment that was going to come to Israel and that the stones on the temple would be torn apart. And Much like what you and I know when Jesus talked about the temple, sometimes he was talking about the literal temple there in Jerusalem. 
Certainly there's application of that in Matthew 24, 1 and 2. But then Jesus may be talking even about himself. that He would be destroyed. He would give his life so that you and I might have life. And then he would raise his life again. And so the disciples were knowing that Jesus was talking about the end of times in the first couple of verses. And so in verse 3 where we pick up, Jesus is going to speak about the end. And church, be clear with me. I'm not sure that 2015 will be the last year you ever have, but it certainly could be. According to the Word of God, we may not make it to Thursday. He could come back before this service is over. So I want to call you again to remember our Savior is coming again. Are we ready for Him to come again? His disciples ask Him this question in this passage How are we going to know when the end is coming? So how better for us to get an eternal perspective than to listen to Jesus' answer about how we know that the end is coming? Matthew chapter 24, begin reading with me in verse 3, if you will. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming And of the close of the age. Jesus answered them. See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying. I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place. But the end is not yet. For for nation will rise against nation. And kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Father, would you be with us this morning? God, as we consider this passage, the teaching of our Savior, I pray that you would open our hearts that we as a church would be able to consider together what we know about the end and how we can prepare ourselves for the end. Spirit, would you speak to us today? Would you have freedom in this place? Bind what distracts us. Focus our hearts and our minds on the Savior whose coming we anticipate. And we'll give you praise for what you do. Amen. It's one of the conversations that I have with church members, Christians, people in our culture. Everybody knows that the world is not getting better. 
And so even if you are a follower of Christ or not a follower of Christ, many think, well, the signs of the times are here and the signs of the times, when we say those things, come much from Matthew chapter 24. We think about what Jesus taught us about the end. And more and more as we learn about what's going on in our world, as we see what's happening in our nation and in the nations across this world, many of us think, man, Lord, can you tarry any longer? It is time, Lord, there is so much going on. As you heard the passage read, many of you might have been thinking, I heard about these things on the news just this week. And you might be thinking, Lord, you could come at any moment. Indeed, the truth is our Savior could come at any moment. So as I enter into 2015, as I lead us as a church to enter into 2015, as I lead us this morning to think about our lives in This coming year, I want us to be reminded the world in which you now live, the body which you now inhabit is temporary. If you walk away from this place with anything today, I would want it to be this thought. I am not going to live in this world, in this body forever. But there is a forever world, and there will be a forever body. And you and I have been given by our Savior an opportunity to prepare for eternity. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, How do we know when you're going to come back, Lord? And He gives them this teaching. As we go into it, I just want to say to you, when this world passes away, the Bible says that there will be two realities that will be eternal. One we refer to as heaven. The Bible more specifically says there will be a new heaven and a new earth. There will be a new creation. Those who have come to Christ have already been given the taste of this new creation because God has made us new by the indwelling of His Spirit. He has given you entrance, citizenship, into a kingdom that will last forever. But we look around and we know that this world and these bodies, they can't last forever. So our salvation is not complete. The eternal kingdom has not fully come and yet it has already been proclaimed. But when Jesus returns, the forever kingdom will come. Many of us refer to that as heaven when God says he will come back and he will bring those who have died in Christ with him and those of us who remain will be caught up in the air to join them to rule and reign with God forever and ever. At that time, there will be no sin. There will be no effects of sin. There will be no effects of the fall of Adam and Eve. The world will not be falling. God will restore all. He will restore us. And we will live with Him in perfect harmony with our God, without sin, forever and ever in a kingdom that will last forever. Praise be to our God. Heaven is real. The Bible says, though, there are few that enter into the gates of that kingdom. I'm afraid that you and I have been brought up in a culture and in a day where we kind of assume that most will be in heaven. It's contrary to the teaching of the Word. The teaching of the Word says that few find it. Many, most, will not enter into that kingdom. So there's another reality. You and I love to reflect on the reality of heaven, how wonderful heaven's going to be. But there's another reality and it's just as real as heaven and it is a place that the Bible calls as hell. It's separated from God. It's separated from everything that God is. 
His sustaining power will not be there. It will be an existence of death and torment. The Bible describes it as a lake of fire and an eternal burning. And there are those who are alive today that will spend their eternity in hell. If there's any reality that I would want you to take away today, it would be this. Heaven is real, hell is real, and Jesus is the only difference should bring you and I to a place of thinking about an eternal perspective. With that in mind, I want you to go to the text. Jesus makes four statements to us that I want to bring to us. Two of them are negative, do not. Two of them are positive, do this. Look at what he says, beginning with me in verse 4. Jesus answers them and says, See to it that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. First statement that Jesus says, I believe, could just be stated like this. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. What would we be deceived on? What could it be that Jesus is speaking about? He says, for many will come in my name and saying, I am the Christ. What could we be deceived on in our culture? It's simply this, that someone else is the Messiah. The word Messiah, the word Christ in your New Testament comes from the word Messiah. The Old Testament was looking for one that would deliver a Messiah that would bring hope. And Jesus says, many will come in my name. They will say they're of God and they'll say, I am the Messiah. And they will lead many astray. So I was thinking about this. I thought, Lord, help us. How often, how easy is it for us to be deceived by things, not only people, but things that say, I will deliver you. There are people that say, I have the answer to your life. Follow after me and I will make your life meaningful. Follow after me and I will make your life have purpose. Follow after me and I will give you happiness. How many things in our lives do we chase after? Does the world put before us that say, I am the Christ. I am your hope. I am your Messiah. I am your deliverer. I can make your life worth living. And how often do people go after those things? Jesus says, don't be deceived. There will be those that come and promise deliverance. What you and I need to remember is Jesus is the true God and Savior. Church, to have an eternal perspective in your new year, I would want you to say this and believe this and live this. Jesus is enough. I don't have to have what the world says. I don't have to have what any other Savior proclaims. I don't have to have what any Messiah. He, he will go on and say, there will be those that will say, come to the desert, I am the Messiah. He says, don't go. There will be those that come and say, come to this inner room, I am the Messiah. He says, don't go. I've already told you what to do. I've given you your instructions. Make disciples. Don't follow after any other Christ. Believe Jesus is the true God and Savior and follow Him. If you want an eternal perspective in your new year, follow Jesus. He is the Messiah. Do not be deceived. Jesus is the true God and Savior. Second statement that He makes in verse 6, He says, You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, See that you are not alarmed. I'd rephrase it like this. Do not be shaken. Do not be deceived. There will be people that will say they can deliver you and bring meaning and happiness in your life. Secondly, he says, do not be alarmed. Do not be shaken. 
There are going to be things that happen in our world that are the effects of sin. He says you'll hear of wars, rumors of wars. These must take place. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom will rise against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all of these are but the beginning. Oh my church, how bad will it be in our world when God comes again? The minor prophets describe it as a terrible thing. Not an awesome day. It will be an awesome day for those who know the Lord. But for the most For this world, it will be a terrible day when God comes to bring His judgment. And He says, these famines and earthquakes, the the results of sin, the wars and the rumors of wars and the kingdom rising against kingdom, that's only the beginning of the birth pains. As any mother in here knows, it's nowhere near what actual birth pains are. Giving birth. It's only the beginning of what's going to happen. And Jesus says this, Don't be shaken. Do you know what you're going to be tempted to do? When nation rises against nation, when things happen in this world that we look at, you're going to be tempted to say, God, are you you there? Is God real? Is Jesus the, is he really the Savior? Jesus says these must take place. Sin is going to take its full course and judgment is going to come. Do not be alarmed. When you look around, I want you to know that as you watch this world fall apart and crumble, Jesus says, I'm in control. Don't be afraid. I proclaimed the beginning from the end. I told you this was going to occur. So in 2015, when the world falls apart, when things happen that are beyond our imagination, don't begin to say, God, are you real? God said, wars, kingdoms, fighting, famines, earthquakes, it's just the beginning of what is to come. Notice with me in verses 6 and 7, these are things that happen on a world scale. Kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation, famines. Beginning verse 9, he says, this trouble, it's going to be more than on a world scale. We're not going to sit in our church, in our air conditioning and think that all is well and look and say, boy, I'm glad I'm not there and I'm glad I'm not there. He says it's going to get personal. It's not only on a world scale, it's going to get personal. Look at verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. They'll put you to death. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Perhaps the saddest part of this entire phrase, or excuse me, this entire uh, passage is in verses 10 through 12. Many many will fall away, betray one another, hate one another. These are the the folks that uh, Jesus mentions in the parable of the seed and the sower when the seed goes out and it hits rocky ground it springs up and there's great excitement oh wow I can follow Jesus but it's not real it doesn't last they'll fall away they'll betray one another you know there'll be people that call themselves Christians that they're not really Christians they'll walk away they'll betray you they'll betray me they'll hate one another More than being interested in the gospel spread, they'll be interested in their kingdom spreading and what they can gain from following after this Christ thing. 
They'll betray one another. They'll hate one another. Verse 11, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. They're here. There are those that are teaching false doctrine. They're teaching you what salvation is. If you will just have this or believe this or pray this or give this, you will have wealth and you will have health. And that's not what the gospel is about. The gospel is not about having your heaven here. It's about one that will come and restore all things to much better than you could ever have it here. Verse 12 is incredible to me. And because lawlessness will be increased, this rings in my soul the love of many will grow cold. So I've prayed for you this week and I've thought about our church, Poplar Spring, our church universal in the world today. I thought, oh God, oh God, help us. Our love has grown cold. Much talk in our churches today. Not a whole lot of sacrificial love for one another. Not a whole lot of putting others before ourselves. Jesus says when you see this happening, don't be shaken. Trouble's going to come. It's going to be on a world scale. Watch the news. It's going to be on a personal scale. Church, did you know that in our day right now there are more people killed in any given year now than there were in the first four or five centuries of the church? for calling the name of Christ. You have brothers and sisters in the family of God that are in danger of their life being taken right now. We have people in the world that when they call the name of Christ, they'll be killed today for following after Christ. You'll be delivered up to tribulation. You'll be put to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. I hope it troubles some of us that we sit in very comfort and yet we have brothers and sisters across the world that are suffering. It should call us to prayer. It should call us to prayer continually. Do not be deceived. Do not be shaken. Jesus is in control. Third statement found in verse 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus says, endure. Endure. He didn't say, church, don't worry about it. It's not going to be hard on you, did he? Oh, I'm going I'm to guard my people and, and you're not going to have to deal with all this. He says, endure. When famine comes, endure. When people hate you because you call the name of Christ, endure. If you lose your job because you call the name of Christ, Endure. If you have to stand up and not compromise what Jesus says and how He has said what being truthful and honest and living for Him and proclaiming the gospel and making disciples, if you're doing something that is preparing for the kingdom to come and you get persecuted for it, endure. Endure. He doesn't say stop. He doesn't say it's okay to lie. He doesn't say it's okay to compromise. He says, you're living in a kingdom that is much greater than any kingdom you could ever live here. You're serving a king that will serve as king for much longer than any king that can tell you how to live here. Endure. 
What will you endure in the coming year? This comes with a promise. But those who endure to the end will be saved. Those who are true followers of Christ will be shown during this time. I think it's our time. I think it's your day and my day. I think it's the end days, the the last days as the Old Testament calls them. Perhaps you'll have to endure physical sickness this year. Perhaps you'll have to endure relational troubles. Perhaps your beliefs will be challenged. Perhaps your love will be challenged. You see, that's what, he's, that's what he just got done saying. You'll be delivered up to persecution and death. You will suffer. Your relationships will suffer. Many will fall away and betray. Your beliefs will be challenged. Many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. Your affections will be challenged. Because of the increase of lawlessness, the love will grow cold. But endure. Endure all this. When brothers and sisters fall away, endure. Stay strong. Have an eternal perspective. This world is not all there is. Don't get too comfortable here. Live for Christ in it. Live with the reality of heaven and hell. Endure. Final statement, verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. The final thing that I think would be exactly what Jesus would say. You want to usher in the kingdom? If some of you are sitting here and say, even so, come Lord Jesus, I'm ready. Here it is. Proclaim the gospel. Proclaim the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is going to be proclaimed to all nations. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that when we come to the end, there will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation that stand around the throne of God with us, redeemed by the same blood of the Lamb with us. And so he says this gospel will go out. It will be proclaimed. So you and I have been called to go and proclaim the gospel. For some of you, it means that you proclaim it at your table this week. For some of you, it means that you proclaim it to your neighbors. For some of you, it means that you proclaim it in your job. You see co-workers that don't know the Lord and you step out and you take a, a risk to say, my purpose is not just to be here to make money. My purpose is to be here to represent the king that will be king forever. And he has a message for you. And it is, come to him, repent and believe. And you too can live with him forever and ever when the world is restored and the kingdom is brought fully. That is what we're living for. Not this day, that day. He has made this day purposeful because of that day. Proclaim the kingdom, the gospel to those around you. My prayer is that some of you will also pray, receive a call from God and surrender to it to go. To go out from our church whether it's to go out to Baltimore, whether it's to go to Boston or Colorado or Lamino Town or Turkey, wherever it may be, that God would call us to go and share the same gospel. Make no mistake, if we don't share it here, God's not going to send us overseas to share it. We must be sharing it here You want to usher in the coming of the Son of God? Proclaim the gospel. 
Why do we get involved in the spring fling in May? So we can proclaim the gospel. Why do we challenge you to get involved in our community, in your job, in your workplace, in your, in your neighborhood, so you can share the gospel? Why? Because we know that the kingdom is coming. Here's what our Savior says. If you won't praise my name, the rocks will cry out. I don't want a rock crying out. I want to proclaim the gospel and praise my Savior. I want to be his hands and his feet and his mouthpiece to take this gospel to the nations and to my neighbor. Then, then the end will come. Church, we have a purpose. We have marching orders from our king. Be a disciple and make disciples. I hope that you will leave today knowing there is the reality that our Savior is returning. And it could be before the sun goes down today could be a hundred years. Matter of fact, in this very passage, he goes on, he says, no man knows the day or the hour, but here are the signs. The signs are clear, are they not? He could return at any moment. What will it be like for you when he returns? I want to be doing his work. I want to be doing what God called me to do which is making disciples. An eternal perspective, 2015, calls me to look around and not be deceived by everything that's saying, follow me. It calls me to look around and say, I'm not going to be shaken. I know Jesus is in control. I see all the bad and the evil. I'm not going to be alarmed. My God is in control. It calls me to endure whatever he calls me to go through this year. I'll endure it for his glory for his kingdom, and it calls me to proclaim his gospel wherever I am. I pray that God will give you and me an eternal perspective ready for the end of the age.